Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Welcome, friends, family, serious, and cautious and casual listeners to this <laughs> week's release of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast dedicated to seeking. Thus, we dubbed it by Seekers and For Seekers. Hope this week's been a great one, and uh, our hopes is we might make a small contribution to making it just a little better and a little brighter as we all seek to know God and His plan and the meaning and purpose of each of our lives. How about shout-outs this week? Yeah, our shout-outs this week are to Ryan... Renee and SLM. Ryan, Renee, and SLM. Mm -hmm. Some people just use call letters. <laughs> All right. That may be Salem. I don't know. I just leave out the... Uh, yeah, I'm not really <laughs> sure, but I know that they're from the UK, so hi out there. Hi. Well, the hi. last episode was... Uh, and, I, and I don't spend... Do a lot of that. Tracy knows who's listening and knows how many and all of that, so I don't. So don't think I don't appreciate... Tra Tabitha and I all appreciate you listening and, and all your comments and questions and all that stuff. Uh, last episode was dedicated to helping you get to know us a little better and uh, how we were inspired to do this in the first place and what motivates us to continue to do it. Uh, what last episode was number 26, and that shoved us and vaulted us across that all-important, well, to us anyway, that six-month milestone. Yes. Never thought we'd make it that far. I know <laughs> it. All right, so holding true to our promise to not skirt around the difficult or controversial issues, today's episode topic is going to be alcohol. Whatever name it's picked up through the ages, hooch, booze, fire, water, <laughs> nectar of the gods, and its many forms of fermented, brewed, and distilled states. And let me say right here, before we get into segment one, uh, if you guys hear a slight hissing that sounds like a tape noise in, a s in the back, that's actually our air conditioning here, but we're not going to do without it. So it is, we'll It's almost July and <laughs> yeah. it's hot, y'all. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Tomorrow will be July. Uh, is it up to me for segment one? I believe it is. Okay, we're going to talk about, in this. the topic of this segment is how far back does consuming alcohol actually go? Uh, well, when you go to the World Wide Web, there are as many answers as there are questions concerning alcohol. One comment that seemed to ring true is that the first process that yielded alcohol was likely the fermentation process, which is a natural process of decaying fruit. 
As the fruit decays, the skin is breached, allowing the natural wild yeasts that are found on the outer skin to have access to the fruit itself, which contains natural sugars that produce alcohol as a result of this process. And, and let me just jump in right here and say, I actually didn't learn this till far into my winemaking career of actually just practicing and how it actually all that, that, well, I actually washed my fruit and you're not supposed to do that. I didn't oh, know you were oh. not supposed to wash your fruit. And I was washing my wild fruit, my muscadines and stuff, mm -hmm. and I was washing it, and I noticed I wasn't getting the kind of process that I wanted. And I found out that's also why you crush it. If you don't crush it, it takes it a long time. When you crush and break that skin, all of those natural yeast that are, that's what the skin is for. So is there really is a point to the stomping of there the There actually is. There is a point to that, huh. yeah. Okay. Well, this makes for a good argument that the first consuming of alcohol and its intoxicating effect was likely an accidental discovery and not an intentional invention. So somebody might have eaten some bad grapes. Or drank some, I don't know. Some historians agree that the first controlled, deliberate fermentation process with the intent to produce an alcoholic beverage can be traced to India and Babylonia as far back as 3000 B.C. with the evidence of a drink called, and I don't know, how, Sura, I guess, S-U-R-A, that was developed in a process of fermenting honey and water. That, that Nothing like about that. Taste. I don't know. That does not sound appetizing oh, to really? me at all. Really? Yeah. Does that remind you of like cough medicine, the hot toddy, something no. like that? I don't know. All they add, I don't know how much water <clears throat> they add. It seems a little bit odd that many of the historians didn't pick up on the oldest historical record we have of alcohol found in none other than the Bible itself. So in Genesis 9, 19 through 21, we pick up immediately following the receding of the great floodwaters from the earth. And the exit of Noah, his wife, sons, and daughters-in-law, and the release of all of the animals from the ark. Verse 19 reads like this. The sons of Noah, who came out of the boat with their father, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. From these three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. Verse 20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. Verse 21. One day he drank some wine he had made and became drunk, and he lay naked inside his tent. So while it's possible that Noah made the discovery of the effects of drinking fermented grapes during the year they were closed up in a float on the ark, it's probably not likely. It seems he could hardly wait to get a vineyard planted and growing so he could resume the production of wine, as he'd obviously done prior to the flood. Well, I found it interesting. It didn't record that he planted tomatoes. Right. Or that he ran out and he was so hungry for potato. First thing he did is planted a bit. I mean, it's just the Bible. Well, if almost you were says, stuck on a boat for 380 days with people, don't you think you well, would have a little sticky animals? Yeah, I'm going to think. I, I'm going to assume they had the animals on the bottom floor, and that's why they had that ventilation place around the top Probably. of the deal. I was just thinking, picture all of us stuck on a boat together. Yeah, that <laughs> it, it seems implausible, even impossible, to misinterpret this motive in, uh, you know, his Noah's motive and intent. And just as ridiculous to argue he was drinking alcohol-free grape juice, <laughs> Welsh's grape juice don't cause you to pass out naked in your tent. Never had that happen <laughs> so far. So with some surety and accuracy, we can determine that the production of alcohol was discovered sometime in the first 1,500 years between Adam and Noah. Or perhaps, as we have pointed out in an earlier episode, if the sixth day man and woman weren't Adam and Eve, Adam's descendants may have learned it from the race of people who preexisted outside the garden. One thing that we can say with some certainty is that the origin and early development and use of alcohol was probably not primarily for medicinal purposes and many that many today want to argue. 
it's pretty evident that Noah was seeking out its recreational quality. <laughs> yeah. Now, brewing and dist- uh, the brewing and distilling process for beer and hard drink are hard to research also, and it's hard to find much agreement on their origin. However, most agree that these processes, now I'm talking about brewing and distilling, I, and I'm assuming everybody knows the difference in that. You guys know the difference in brewing and distilling? Yes. Brewing's up the Tabitha Dome. Brew- no. Brewing is kind of like beer. Beer is brewed, mm-hmm. it's brewed, and it's a mixture, and it is heated and warm. And then, but some of it is cold brewed. They figured out cold brew. But distilling is where you actually cook a, the alcohol out of a substance, and then you condense it through a coal into the liquid, in the liquid a that comes steam. That's a like steel. Steel. Shine, distilled. Right? Yeah, that's okay. distilled. Okay. okay. Brewing and distilling process for beer and hard drink are hard to research and find any real agreement on their origin. But most agree these processes may owe their heritage to the Chinese who are believed to have first used these processes on rice to develop alcoholic drinks. What is that? Sake? Sake. Yeah. Yeah. We're not sure if it's appropriate to say that the consumption of alcohol is as old as mankind itself, but it sure seems like the early man devoted a great deal of energy to the development of the processes that yielded the drink and and the sought-after effect that it has. It might be interesting to note that some animals, especially monkeys, in certain jungle areas are known to drink fermented water from certain jungle flowers and become intoxicated. I can't think of I can't think of anything funnier than a drunk monkey. Would Tabby like <laughs> to admit something right now? <laughs> when I first heard this, I did not know that drunk monkeys existed. <laughs> so I had to YouTube it. And I'm telling you, I looked up an hour later and realized I was still watching drunk monkey videos on YouTube. What were YouTube? you talking about? You said in some of the tropical places. Now, I know what we just buried into this, yeah. but, but the, drunky, the, the monkeys, the drunkies, the monkeys <laughs> have discovered the effects of that. And you said they'll sneak up on beaches where people are drinking these tropical drinks? Yeah, where they drinks. have the tropical drinks and they will steal their drinks while they're <laughs> sunbathing or whatever. I love it. And then another thing Tabitha pointed out, I've got to watch it. I'm telling you. Yeah, I can't think of anything so funny. So you know I mean, what we're going to be doing this yeah, evening. I, I can't think of anything funnier than a bunch of drunk monkeys and but I what, hope you guys will just, I mean to me, I'm a guy. Monkeys yeah. are funny anyway. I can they just are. sit and watch, I can watch monkeys do anything. Yeah. I don't know what. But what was really funny, They this one video that I watched paralleled them to humans and the consumption <laughs> of alcohol <laughs> and it said you know, there were some monkeys who were teetotalers. They would sniff the drink, and if it was alcohol, they would move on to a soft drink, and they would steal somebody's Coke or something. Huh. That's, so that's strange. They just didn't have a taste for it. They just didn't have a taste for the alcohol. Well, with that thought, I guess we can go ahead and conclude segment one. Everybody so. yeah, stay connected for segment two. Seekers, today we're talking about the topic that has become somewhat taboo in many circles of the Christian religion. It's the topic of alcohol and the consumption, use, abuse of alcohol. Yeah, in segment one, we did a brief history of this intoxicating drink in its various forms, and we discovered that the Noah's making of wine may predate some of the secular records we have concerning alcohol. Which brings us into this segment where we want to ask the question, how did the consumption of alcohol get such a stigma attached to it, especially here in the West? Well, one one could probably answer that statement by asking, have you been around somebody drunk lately? (laughs) Granted, there's a fine line between the use of alcohol and the abuse of alcohol. 
Right, but I mean, can't you use that same statement about just about anything? It can be said of a lot of things. Don't we as human beings seem to be able to find a way to turn the use of anything into abuse and addiction? <laughs> yeah. I, I watch, I mean, I'm a huge documentary fan, but I watch people that are addicted to things like plastic surgery even or things like that. We Social mm. media is mm -hmm. another well, one. I, we I can become addicted to anything. It's difference in use and abuse, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, we're told and believe it's true and have all witnessed our fair share of cases where people even abuse prescription medicine. Medications that when they're used properly have a positive impact on a suffering person's quality of life. But when misused, they can yield some serious and devastating results. Yet, you never hear anyone suggest that legitimate medications for managing pain should become outlawed because some abuse is is done, you know, it's, uh, some abuse its attended purpose. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to one probable answer to our segment question. How did the consumption of alcohol get such a stigma attached to it, especially in Christian circles? And one probable answer is a period in our nation's early history called the temperance movement. And the temperance movement had its origins in American history in the early to mid-1800s, where all the ill side effects of the abuse of alcohol was being brought to public attention. Interestingly, even in the conservative colonist days, the use of alcohol was a normal and accepted part of early American life. And I did want to drop in here that this is was also going on at the same time in England. Well, it was Had a world, the it, teetotaler yeah, it was a worldwide where movement, we get yeah. that phrase from. Uh, some believe this American movement was spurred on by the Industrial Revolution and its introduction of machinery. I can't read this without thinking about this. Uh, let me go back. Some believe this was spurred on by the Industrial Revolution and its introduction of machinery, such as steam engines on trains and ships, which sort of goes without saying that the people operating these machines kind of needed to be sober. Yeah, that might, that might help. <laughs> the temperance movement got a great boost when it persuaded many church leaders of that era to preach messages condemning the use of alcohol which eventually led to legislation making the production, sale, and consumption of alcohol in a crime in the United States. In fact, the temperance movement became so intertwined with the church and religion that for many years, the issue was the main message and mission of the church. So if you look at that, I mean, it's really, that was the government. It, it never well, no, really came it, from or... Well, no, it was people that right. had an agenda. It was an agenda. I guess that's what it, I'm saying. It wasn't ever really a biblical thing no, that came no, no, to no, light. No, 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 no. That was just It their, was an agenda that yeah. people had, and they said this alcohol, you know, it was dubbed the demon alcohol and all of these things. And, and, and well, let's just go back, and I don't want this to turn into the marijuana ex the discussion again. I go back, and I watch. I love, I'm an old Dragnet fan. I love mm -hmm, the old Dragnet mm -hmm. shows. It is amazing how marijuana is demonized. Oh, they yes. show episodes of people that they smoke a joint and they kill their whole family and they kill their babies. And I mean, this was the way, wow. this is how you get, and, and this was the way alcohol was done. Screaming and yelling and flailing around after smoking a marijuana cigarette. Huh. And so you see how you can get public opinion. It's all mm -hmm. about getting, and then what better way than the church? And let's just go ahead and say this right now. Guys, <coughs> political parties are doing the same thing right now with the church. They are. They are. They're using the church to promote. Well, they're actually using the church 
making them feel self-righteous and mm-hmm. they're using the church to further their it's not really their cause they're using hot political issues that they can anyway that's probably not something we need to get into but th- things haven't changed much have they if you want to get something done get the church to get on the bandwagon mm-hmm. and go from there and i guess tabitha is it you with okay. with great influence Oh, with great influence from John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, a man by the name of John Russell organized and led a national political party called the National Prohibition Party. And it would take many more years until the year 1920 when the ASL, or the Anti-Saloon League, successfully lobbied Congress and got a prohibition bill passed, making all alcoholic beverages illegal, as well intended as this effort may have been it created an opening for the production and sale of alcohol to be solely the business of underground and illegitimate businesses and developed and funded the mafia or the mob organized crime yeah prohibition was repealed on the federal level in 1933 but alcohol production and sale remained and i didn't know this alcohol production and sale remained illegal in many states with Mississippi being the last to repeal its prohibition law in 1966. I had no idea. (laughs) Well, this seems to be a lesson lost on those today who still think they can legislate responsible behavior on any level concerning any issue. History has proven time and time again it just does not work. And I think that's a credible, credible statement. That's what we're doing a lot. People are trying to legislate good behavior yeah. right and you're not going to do that that's not going to happen ever lawbreakers only people who obey the law are going <laughs> to obey the law right you know you're not going to make people have a type of behavior you want them to have well it's like here in arkansas didn't we just raise the tobacco age limit to 21 yes. from 18 and and what do you think what do you think is going to happen to people who have no regard to bootlegging or selling drugs uh cigarettes yeah. are going to be their next big business exactly. isn't it Well, and guys, I mean, let's just be, I was an underage smoker in my day. I started, my dad's looking at me now. (laughs) I started smoking before I was 18. If you want them, you can get them. Yeah, I think he's looking at you more like, I already knew that. Yeah, well, I was (laughs) But I didn't tell him until I I was 19. It wasn't because I bought them. No. no. Uh, So there we have a brief history on how alcohol has gotten its often deserved reputation. No matter what the issue is, there will likely always be people who, for one reason or another, do not exercise moderation or self-control with overuse and abuse, regardless what it is. And we're certainly not trying to negate the seriousness of people who have alcohol or drug abuse problems, and certainly not those families who are victim to these things. No. But we're just stating that, as most things in life does, it comes down to personal choices and being accountable for our choices and actions. Right. And I guess with that said, if y'all will stay connected, we're going to be back with the final segment on alcohol here at God Beyond the Bible. Okay, welcome back, and thanks for staying connected with us here on God Beyond the Bible. In segment one of our episode on alcohol, we did a brief history on, as best as we could, on the original 
on the origin of alcohol and its consumption. The original alcohol. Yeah, the original. <laughs> Noah, Noah wasn't. No. <laughs> well, and in segment two, we discussed how a social reform group's efforts known as the temper. Temperance? No, yes. <laughs> Known as the temperance movement may have served to increase the awareness of the ill effects of alcohol abuse and in its heyday successfully persuaded U.S. leaders to pass a bill making alcohol illegal and it was known as prohibition. But it didn't serve its intended purpose to stem the use and abuse of alcohol. It merely created a whole new problem known as organized crime. Let me say something right here. We're talking about our leaders or this movement got enough people on their side to get Congress persuade, mm -hmm. argued enough to get Congress to do this. Uh, did you know that here in the Western world where we tend to make alcohol a bad, this any kind of use of alcohol a bad thing, we have more alcoholism than we do in countries that just embrace alcohol. They have wine with their dinners. Children are grown up. And did you know that there's actually less what is it? Is it that because it, we're making it a bad thing? Is it because if we can make this something that's really we bad? We do the same thing with our eating habits, though. When you make something, especially to young kids, something absolutely off mm -hmm. limits, that's a bad thing. You can't have that. That's what we they want. We make it become yeah. a hidden obsessive. But I, I, don't you do you not find that in places where I'm not saying they don't have alcoholics, right. but in places where alcohol consumption is is not tabooed, it's not you know by, by any group of people. They don't seem to have the problems we have here in the West with alcohol abuse. Because it's not something special. It's just an everyday thing that's a part of life. I knew, I knew a woman once, that, and she told me, and she's older than me, and she said, you know, if my parents told me not to do it, I figured it must be fun. Yeah. And I think that's the... I think that's well, I mean, and I think I was never a kid who went and partied or anything, but you guys never really made alcohol taboo. It no. wasn't a... No, it wasn't say, don't you ever, don't you don't ever. ever. No, it was this. always, I better not ever see you riding with anybody that's exactly. been drinking alcohol. Yeah. I or better not driving. ever see you driving. But it wasn't, it, I don't know, it was just. It was a, this is something that you have to be responsible with, but it wasn't, like don't a car. you ever do that. Like yeah. a car, we like don't say, don't else. ever drive because people exactly. abuse. Right. Okay. Uh, where are we down to? In this segment, we'd like to take a look at the New Testament and the early believers' perception of alcohol. Okay, so let's start with the first miracle recorded in Jesus' life. It was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother Mary seemed to somehow um, be somehow connected to hosting the party. Because when the wine supply began to get low, she brought the deficiency to Jesus' attention, who seemed to at first say to his mother that this wasn't really a part of his mission as the Son of God. i got to tell you guys a story. If you've ever listened to Jerry Clower. I love you Jerry Clower. You guys probably haven't listened much. Oh, yeah. But Jerry Clower tells a story about the woman in the church. And she was all, she was down on alcohol and condemning alcohol and said, uh, said uh, I think it was Jerry said to her, said, well, you know, sister, Jesus did drink wine. And she said, I know he did. And I'd have thought a lot more of him if he hadn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, Mary seemingly, let's get back to the turning the water to wine in the marriage of Cana of Galilee. Mary seemingly to almost ignore our Lord's protest instructed the servants to just follow Jesus' instructions and do whatever he told them to do to alleviate this shortage of wine. One of my favorite things about this story was how motherly Mary was in this moment. Jesus yeah. was sort of 
hesitant about this. protesting a little bit. And Mary's like, y'all just, he's my son. Y'all just go do whatever he tells you to do. Because she knew that he was going to, she was his mom. And he would follow through. And there are people that that kind of hangs in the throat. His first miracle was he turned the water to wine. Well, of course, as we know, Jesus told them to fill the wash pots with water and then dip it out and serve it to the guests. And behold, we have the water turned to wine. I want to say something to you. This was better than 100 gallons of wine. Really? Wow. Yes. It tells how many firkins the pots were. There were Uh like nine wash parts Mm -hmm. that held so many firkins apiece. The the estimation is somewhere between 100 and 150 gallons. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Of wine. So considering this single event. If the use of alcohol in a recreational manner was wrong, would Jesus really have encouraged this wrong behavior by providing another 100 or 150 gallons They were of wine? all using it purely for medicinal purposes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, and I want you to go ahead and say, you said, oh, no, but it wasn't. It was not a non-alcoholic. It said after they were well drunk. Yes. Yeah. Read the scripture. After they well, had well drunk. After they were well drunk. And their drunk. weddings were a week-long <laughs> yeah. party. Well, let's get on right to it. Jesus drank wine. Mm-hmm. And we know the argument. It was a staple. As water was not fit to drink, so people substituted wine. Uh, but it had little or no alcohol in it. <laughs> I had one scholar argue that the Greek word was neos, or new wine. And it really meant grape juice that hadn't fermented. I politely pointed out that at that day of Pentecost, uh, that at the day of Pentecost, it was neos or new wine that the disciples were accused of being drunk on when they were speaking in tongues. And their response to the accusation wasn't that one couldn't get drunk on new wine or that they didn't drink wine at all. Their defense was that it was only the third hour <laughs> of the day. It was 9 a.m. and it was simply too early to be drunk. So basically they were saying check back at four. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying, yeah, but I'm just, I mean, that was the, and and, and there was no, do you notice that there was no stigma? No, no, none at all. Other than with the being drunk. There was not a stigma with, with, with the use of wine. Right. The early church leaders did not have a position on the use of alcohol. I mean, after all, in his letter to the young pastor Timothy, the elder Paul encouraged him to drink not water only, but take a little wine for his stomach. Paul did not specify how much was a little and how often to repeat the dosage, (laughs) but it was clear he had confidence in young Timothy's ability to use good judgment and moderation. And in his instructions for the qualifications of pastors and deacons, Paul says that they should should not be given too much wine. And it's really not not be given too much wine. The emphasis is on much. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's not given too much, not too, uh-oh. It's not, I, know, I saw, Trace, I saw Trace and read that, and she was <laughs> reading that. But it says they should not be given too much wine. In other words, they should not give in to overindulgence. Right. They so go shouldn't ahead. be abusers there you go. of alcohol. There you go. So in another list of qualifications, he says that the office holder should not be a glutton. Most agree it applies not merely to drinking, but to overeating and lack of moderation in other areas of life as well. Well, and and back to that part there. Uh, You know, when Paul said should not be given too much wine, it means an abuser of alcoholic beverage. In another list of qualifications, he says the office holder should not be a glutton. And most agree it applies not merely to drinking. Did you just read that? Yeah, but that's okay. Okay, I'm sorry. We're just I'm so- recapping. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it uh, but it meant not to. Be. So it agrees. It wasn't just drinking. It was to right. be a glutton of anything, yeah. to yeah. be an over abuser of anything. And that's why he said, you know, don't be given to much wine. In other words, you don't need to have a reputation of sure. being mm-hmm. an abuser of alcohol. 
Well, is it my turn? Mm -hmm. When do you guys read this? And I'm going to get you a drink of water. Okay. And then I'll... So in another letter, Paul writes, Do not be drunk with wine, but instead be full of the Spirit. In fact, nowhere do we see any of the early writers advocating prohibition, purely moderation. Are we ready to conclude? Has anyone got ready. anything? Well, drunk, I did want to throw in a couple <laughs> drunk monkeys. <laughs> I did want to throw in a couple of surveys that I found that seems to show that maybe people's ideas toward alcohol are changing. Lifeway, we all know who Lifeway mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. They have done studies every five years for the past twenty years about the consumption of alcohol within the um, Christian community. And so each time they do the survey, they survey a thousand Christian households. And I believe it was in 1990 when they did the study, they found that around 75% of Christian households believe that all alcohol is off limits. And in 2000, it had dropped to about 65%. And it, in 2018, they redid the study. And it was down to only about 35% of United States households believe that alcohol is completely off limits, yeah. according to the Bible. I've just, I think the real answer here is just it's abuse, use and abuse. And we know it's a fine line and people with anything we do. But guys, we are a nation of excess. Well, and not just that. And when I was doing a little bit of research, one of the main... Drunk monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> Anyway, one of the main things that people used um, as their verse for not drinking was yeah. being a stumbling block, where Paul was it that talked about not being a stumbling block. And I'll be the first to say, if you know somebody has a problem with anything, alcohol or whatever, I'm not going to drink in front of them. Or, or offer, the, offer them a or drink. Offer or offer them a drink or anything like that. But it's... We just have to let go of the stigma. But we're taking that, don't be a stumbling block, we're taking that from the social point of view. Yes. Not from, not from the Bible right. or not from, because yeah. if we did it from biblical, drinking a little alcohol wouldn't be. Right. A so That's so we, exactly we can right. use that broad, we can use that mm -hmm. verse for a broad, hey, you shouldn't wear that color makeup because that could be a stumbling block for someone else. You shouldn't. Wear your hair like that. Yeah, that could be a stumbling block for you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you can just give that its head, as Andy Griffith would say, and they're <laughs> just you know that could be out of control. Anything else? I think we're ready for a conclusion. Okay, if you've chosen to live a life that has no place in it for alcohol, I'll be the first to say more power to you. You're probably better off. There's certainly no possibility of abusing something you don't use to begin true, with. Very true. Uh, if you're a person who uses alcohol, I'd say be careful. Anything that has the power to alter our personality or good judgment can easily be abused and take us to some bad places. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a person who cannot drink without getting drunk and stupid or just drunk, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'd be, uh, you know, uh, I'd be the first to advise abstinence concerning alcohol. Remember, it's a fine line between use and abuse, and it's easy for us to deceive ourselves concerning our dependence on alcohol or any other mood-altering drug or medication. Life is full of choices we all must make. We'll all reap the harvest of consequences concerning the seed we slow. The seed we slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that should have been a stop, but we're not going to stop it because I've already messed up. Man, this. All right, life's full of choices we all must make, and we will all reap the harvest of consequences concerning the seed we sow. Alcohol can and does ruin people's life uh, and their health, mm -hmm. as does many more religiously and socially acceptable things that we can do. Yeah. 
let your moderation be known to all men. In other words, be a person who practices self-control in every area of life. Until next time, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible, God's grace, peace, and love be on each of you, our fellow seekers. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.